Last week, we talked about the Legacy Flywheel. This week, we're having a conversation with a volunteerism genius about the secret of people-first leadership. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast today. We are super glad and excited because we have Maria Sandstrom with us. We've known Maria for years and she is just a volunteer leader genius. Um, The way that she gets the right people in place, builds the right people, builds that community and then adds in systems and procedures. And we've seen the way that she motivates people and keeps them excited for what they're doing. And it's just incredible. Now Maria is a realtor uh, who uses a lot of those same skills to help her clients stay motivated and excited through the process. And Maria, we are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much uh, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so what we usually like to do to start off is just kind of ask you, give us a little bit of a backstory, give our listeners a little backstory of who you are and a little bit about yourself and then also how you kind of got to where you are today. Okay, Um, so I want to start where I first started falling in love with volunteerism. Uh, My husband had joined the Air Force, and I was a teen mom trying to figure everything out, trying to figure out how was I going to be a teen mother, and how was I going to be a teen wife, and do this whole Air Force thing. And the first thing that I volunteered for was actually um, high school volleyball team. So they were students my age, but I was in a completely different lifestyle than they were. Um, but it was a sport that I was really good at and I, and I knew a lot about it. So, um, they needed a coach. They didn't have a coach that they could pay and I volunteered to do the job and there takes a certain level of maturity to, you know, be a wife and a mother at such a young age Mm -hmm. that I was able to kind of, um, speak into those girls lives in a way that maybe a coach that would have been paid couldn't do, um, and I don't know where any of those girls are now. I just I just know that the time that we had together, um, they grew so much more than just in their skill in volleyball and more than just um, their love for the sport. You know, they grew as people and they, they went on to do um, college and some of them didn't even think college was possible. Wow. And I hadn't even finished high school yet. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a good collaboration amongst all of us. And then... Um, as years went by, um, trying to navigate through life still and staying motivated myself, uh, I found myself stumbling upon um, dog rescue. And so I spent a lot of time um, figuring out which dog rescue I wanted to be a part of and did I want to volunteer my time. At this point, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I, you know, my husband's out of the Air Force. We had moved back to Minnesota. And again, I'm trying to navigate through all these different things and just not um, feeling fulfilled in what I was doing. And so um, I stumbled upon Boxer Rescue and I went headfirst into that. And I started out as a foster home and quickly just kept going. And I was seeing things that I didn't know, did I have permission to see? 
Hmm. You know, here I am, this young girl in her early 20s, and I'm noticing this dysfunction and this disorganization and, it, and this overwhelming of dogs coming in and no, no one knowing where to put them. And um, I got to a point where I just wasn't afraid to step on anybody's toes and I just started to speak up. And suddenly the leaders in this organization were like, well, why don't you just do it? And I was perplexed with, can I do it? Like, do I have the capabilities or am I just noticing something that isn't real? Um, but they put it in my hands and um, once I, I crafted that and made a system and created um, an intake and a, assigned to a foster home and so on and so forth, they were like, well, why don't you now do something else? Like instead of, you know, um, intake coordinator, why don't we make you the foster home coordinator? And then it was, well, why don't we make you, you know, the coordinator over all of the volunteers? And then it was, why don't we make you vice president? And I was Jeez. like, whoa. And this was over <laughs> a span of like probably eight years. It wasn't, you know, in one, in one, one year. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it took time, but it was just um, understanding what my skills were and understanding um, what my gifts were and that I could contribute them and I could contribute them to something that I was passionate about and I was excited about. Um, which brings me to another point where when in any organization you're in, it can turn very stressful very quickly, mm -hmm. whether it's the organization itself that can be stressful or your life starts to become stressful. And you're like, I have all these, you know, plates I'm trying to keep up in the air and I, and I don't know how to do it all. So something's got to give. So I'm going to give away my passion. And I found that when you do that, everything else in your life doesn't change. But what does change is the passion that you had and the happiness that that brought. Now suddenly everything else in your life is still very chaotic. Hmm. And in noticing that, I realized, okay, we need to keep volunteers excited <laughs> about what they're doing and inspired about what they're doing and also listen to them. If they're complaining about something, then we need to evaluate. Is this like um, a one isolated complaint or are multiple people complaining about this? Because mm -hmm. if multiple people are complaining about this, then maybe it is an organization problem and we need to figure out how we can fix that. Because we want to keep these people not only happy and excited about what they're doing because of what it does in their own life, but what it adds to the organization. We'd fall apart without volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, and and then after time with that went on, um, you know, I it it became such a large organization at that point. When I first started, I, I want to say there was like five of us. And over eight years of me being with them, we grew to like 300 plus people. Um, and it get to a point where now we're voting people in, we're voting people into the president um, role, we're voting people into the vice president and so on and so forth. And um, I didn't feel like this is something I wanted to do anymore. Hmm. And so um, I, I chose not to run again. You know, uh, I think everyone was predicting I was going to run for, for the presidency and not the vice presidency again. Um, and I just didn't want to run. Um, and then about a year later, I found another organization I wanted to be a part of, which was the church. And that's where we met, met you. Yes, that's where <laughs> yeah. we met. Um, and it was actually there that I learned that um, these were gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. They weren't, um, they weren't, uh, I don't even know. They, they, I didn't know what it was that I was doing until I got to the church. 
to sure. me, it was just, well, I'm noticing it. I noticed this, this needs to happen. I noticed that we need to do this. I noticed, I noticed, I noticed. And, um, once I got to the church, I realized, um, the reason I notice it is because it's a gift. The reason I notice it is because that's my talent. I can, I can see the big overall picture and I have the ability to knock it down into all these little details. And sometimes with that can, can um, bring a lot of cloudiness and a lot of busyness. And so it's important to make sure that you have your main focus. And my main focus was the people because my overarching love was God, but my main focus had to be the people mm-hmm. because that's who I was there to reach. Um, and keeping them excited about what they were doing, I'm going to be honest, was a lot harder than keeping people excited about dogs. Interesting. Um, it was such a heavy handed thing. I, I had to be so immersed in everything that they were doing and, and different facets of their life to, to draw out of them what I needed to know in order to keep them motivated, in order mm. to keep them wanting to volunteer. Hmm. Whereas when I was volunteering with dog rescue, it was, but I don't want anything to happen to these dogs. But what was it over here? I still can't figure it out. Hmm. You know, people come in and they decide, I want to volunteer. I want to, I want to help the church. And I feel like it was my job to help them figure out why do you want to help the church? Hmm. Because if they couldn't figure out why they wanted to help the church, then they were going to quit when it got tough, whether it was tough in life or tough on the team. But if they remembered their why, then that was something I could always fall back on. Remember when we talked about this? If your why has changed, I respect that. And I appreciate that. Let's figure out what your new why is, even if it's a different team. Mm -hmm. I don't care. But let's find what your new why is. Um, I think the most important thing to me was not to keep my teams full, but to keep people motivated, to keep people excited, and to keep people... um, immersed in what I could see was a passion. And that didn't necessarily boil down to the church. It boiled down to what were their gifts and talents and how could they use that to benefit the church? Yeah. That's really, really interesting that it was harder to work with people in a church setting than in the dog setting. I wonder if one of the reasons for that is that the the aim and the goal for dog rescue is kind of external where in the church there there's kind of like this give and take sort of expected right like the church is there for me and i'm also there for other people so it's like they there's an expectation of i need to be invested in here because this is my church but then also i want to invest out there right where in dog rescue it's like if this is hard for me that's okay because this isn't about me this is about the dogs And so I wonder if that's a big piece of it. And like you noticing that, that your gift of being able to notice the difference and see we have to address this other piece that they they need to to feel like they're being cared for and ministered to as well as they go out and they, you know, it's kind of like uh, the difference between uh, a a rescue boat that's going out to like help people in in the ocean and uh, a I don't know something else. Like you have to keep the, you have to keep the boat like working, right? And right. to to be able to do what it's doing. Yeah, right. It's also interesting too because one thing that I noticed about all the different pieces is you're so 
people focused. And I love that. Even knowing you, volunteering alongside with you, um, you had the things that you needed to get done, but your heart was so about the people that you were serving that you had an open hand with everyone because it wasn't about, I want you doing this here. It was, I want you fulfilled. And I believe that you can do that here. But ultimately, how can I help you more? Um, I did have, I, I noticed something interesting back when you were doing the dog rescue. You said that the people above you were like, why don't you do that? And you just grew in leadership over time. Something I've noticed about knowing you from over the years is now you are super good at doing that to other people. You have someone come in and you're super quick to say, I recognize a talent. How can we help you grow in that? Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Because I feel like a lot of people as leaders, when they see someone else have a talent, their response is, I don't know if I want to give away control. Or I don't know if I want to give away that responsibility. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like on the receiving end of it and then how you translated it to your volunteers? Yeah. You know, I actually never put that together. Um, That quite that quite might be where I learned it from. Um, But yeah, so like I said, I tried to stay very um, involved in the volunteers lives. Um, And a a lot of times, well, like you said, there was a lot to get done. So a lot of Mm -hmm. times when somebody would want to talk about something, I would invite them to join me in a task. And as we're doing the task together, they would open up so much more in the busyness of that task than they would if we were just sitting face to face or having coffee or you know sitting up in my office and talking because they got caught up in the busyness of it all and mm. then i could notice other things about them you know there's there was certain volunteers that i could notice gosh they're really good at organizing you know we would put together the auditorium and suddenly they would go back to where all the supplies were and everything was moved hmm. and they would apologize for it and i'm like but wait it makes more sense and it's clean and it's neat You know, like you, you have a talent for that. And, you know, of course people would either blush or they would think, oh, that's stupid or whatever. And I would, I would gratify and, um, and validate that talent, you know, don't, don't brush it off as something little that's important, you know, because without that organizational piece, without that making sense, how is everybody else going to do things quicker? You know, um, so I guess the next thing I would say is I would just put them in charge of that. I would say, you know what, anytime you see this out of place, fix it. And if you decide that there's a different way to organize it, change it. Like I, I'm giving you permission to just take hold of that. And many times it was, hey, could we get more shelves? Or hey, could we get a box for this? Or can we get a bin for that? Or could we get this? And that person could see things that we needed that I couldn't. Because I had far too many tasks, far too many people, and far too many responsibilities to notice that. But because I allowed that person to take ownership over that organizational piece, it became such a an area that upon first day volunteering, I would walk them over to it, explain it to them, and they could just set things up so seamlessly mm-hmm. because it made sense. And it was something I didn't have time for. you know. And I did that with a lot of my tasks. And I didn't really look at it as um, giving away pieces of my job. I looked at it as if I could get somebody doing something that they're good at, then God's going to be able to use that in them in the quiet time of them working on that. Hmm. Or God's going to be able to use them in somebody they're going to teach to do the way that they do it. And then I can be there for them, you know, because at the end of the day, my main job was to be there for people. 
it wasn't to get all of the tasks and responsibilities done. It was to, to love on the people, to care for the people, to make sure that they understood that they were a part of something that was so much bigger than organizing shelves. Right. And how that played into everything else that functioned around that auditorium, including the service. Um, understanding that don't blow something off because you think it's a minuscule task, that it adds to everything else. And mm -hmm. if I could be there for the people, then I was spending my 40 hours a week much better than trying to run around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to get everything done myself because <laughs> I had too much fear of holding on to everything because it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, too, there's there's a fear of like, if I hand this off, is it going to get done well enough? You know, that's that was the thing that I ran into a lot is like, I can hand this thing off, but is it better for me to just do it myself? And I realized quickly me doing five things at my, you know, my perceived really good at them level is never going to be as good as 10 people working on those five things at like an 85 percent capacity because we just multiplied the amount that can get done rather than. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's a definitely a change of thinking and it's a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. Right. Right. You said something that was super interesting. And I think this is a really, really good thing to remember. People often project themselves onto other people. So when they have something that's extraordinary about themselves, they just think it's normal. So mm -hmm. like they see their gifts, their skills, their talents as like, this is just every, like everybody organizes the shelf in the back of the room. Like. I don't see what the big deal is, but from working with so many people, it's clear that you notice <laughs> not everybody's like that. You're right. weird in an awesome way, and you need to recognize that you're weird in an awesome way. So Absolutely. I'm going to call that out of you, show you that you're extraordinary, so that way they can understand, like, I really enjoy this. I'm really good at it, and other people aren't good at it, and they probably even hate it. <laughs> and so it makes sense for me to really use that skill that I have. Yeah. Well, I right. think sometimes when we look at our own lives, we view our innate skills and abilities as mundane. Yeah. We look at ourselves and say, oh, it's just me being me. It's probably really common. And, you know, you need a leader like Maria. You need someone outside pointing it out and saying, no, that's special. Lean into it because the way that we are wired is so unique and specific to what it is that we have been given to do. That mm -hmm. if we view it as mundane, then we view the tasks that we've been given as mundane. And... Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's important. So, and leaders yeah. have that really unique perspective to actually be able to see across a large swath of people to be able to see what's normal and what's not. Right. You know, like yeah. when when I'd work with musicians or when we work with uh, other clients, helping them kind of like see who the key players are in their organizations, uh, just encouraging them to look across everybody and how are people extraordinary? They they probably don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. You know, right. you have to actually let them know. Yeah. Right. Well, and to touch on what you were talking about on um, the ability for them to do the task as well as you can, um, I think as a leader, it's really important to understand that it's okay to go and correct someone and direct them in a way that you would like them to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, one of the things that I tried to do is as I was talking with people and getting to know people, I wanted to find out what made them tick or um, like what was something that made them feel fulfilled and loved? Or as you guys know, like the love languages, mm -hmm. you know, what was their love language? 
Um, and I would try and make sure that I continued to love them in that love language so that when I did have to go and make a direction or a correction, it was more received because they had received so much love from me already that it was okay for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't just walk up to them and go, what is this mess? You know, like, this is not how we do things. This is not how we represent things. You know, I would walk up to them and go, you know, how is everything going with you? Oh, you know, it's it's okay. Well, I can see that you're, you know, something's going on, you know, and then I would start to pick things up or whatever it is. I'm kind of stuck on the organization one because I've got a a face in my head. But um, (laughs) I'm thinking of a person specifically, you know. But, um, you know, I would walk over there and I'd start to organize things the way that they had put it last and just have a conversation. And then and then I would give them that correction during that conversation, you know, and and it sometimes wouldn't sink in during that conversation. But then later they would come to me and they'd say, I didn't even realize that I was really slipping or I didn't realize that I could have made this little part better or I didn't realize that I was letting what my life was doing affect what I was doing in my position. Hmm. Mm. Um, and I think that if you can have that, that relationship with them to allow that correction, you're going to keep them invested in what they're doing far longer than um, picking someone who you think is, you know, relatively good at it. And let's just see if it sticks. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I do want to ask, so last week in our podcast, for those who heard it, we talked about our legacy flywheel, and we talked a lot about getting the right people uh, on board, getting them to do the right action, which obviously those two things Maria is excellent at. Um, But one thing that she's also really great at isn't just getting the right people in the right action, but actually moving into creating systems, Um, which I think sometimes as leaders, um, whether you're like top of an organization or leading within an organization, it can be really easy to think things are chaotic. I just need more people. Um, And sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it's really that you have enough people, you're getting them to do the action, and you need to bring it into the next area. So knowing some of this about you, um, I'm interested to learn what you have to say. How did you go about um, starting to get those systems in place um, and really knocking or locking in those procedures with people? Sure. So when I did rescue, it was more observation than it was anything else. I was watching how all the different moving parts were not coming together. Um, But as far as the church was concerned, there were many times that that was the case, but um, there were a lot of times where I just sat and I listened, you know, Um, like one of the teams that I had was the parking lot team and um, the way that they, um, that they were doing things was always something that needed refinement. And so a, to find, to figure out a system on how to help people park cars and greet people and make it seamless was difficult as I'm watching it. Could I see, yeah, the cars need to go this way and yeah, you need to do this. But the important thing was to listen to the people. They were the ones that were in the trenches. They're the ones that right. are in the mud. And they're the ones that know it far more than me. Sometimes the helicopter view is, is good, but sometimes being in the mud is better. Hmm. Um, I and I would listen, and that's all I would do. Well, well, how would you do it differently? And sometimes I would mesh together eight different ideas, and, and I didn't know at the time it was a system. It took somebody who led me to go, that's a system. 
what? Mm-hmm. What's a system? You know, and then, well, this is what you did, and it's called a system. Um, <laughs> and it and it just it it took a lot of listening and and humility. You know, I needed to be humble enough to listen to the people who were below me to tell me how things needed to go. And then I needed to figure out what was the best way, meshing all these different ideas together, because some of them were very, very different. So how could I mesh all of these ideas and create one systematic procedure that would get people feeling better about how they were doing stuff? Did you ever have... How could they... Go ahead. I was just going to ask a question about that. Did you ever have somebody like bring an idea to you? This is a silly question because I know the answer. Did you ever have someone bring an idea to you that you're like, that's a bad idea? So what do, <laughs> what do you do with that? Right. Because you don't want to incorporate, you know, what you're hearing from the mud if it's going to wreck stuff. Right. So how did yeah. you handle that? So it all depended on the person. It depended on where my relationship was with them at the time. So could I tell them, well, let's play that out and let them see where the flaw was (laughs) or, um, and then they would be the ones to admit it to me. Oh wait, that wasn't as good of idea as I thought now that I've played it out with you. Because you know, sometimes an idea is, is just something that pops into their head and they don't actually think about it as a whole. They don't think about it as, well, what happens when it hits the end person? What happens when we're taking our team and joining with the next team? How could that Mm -hmm. domino stop falling instead of keep falling? And they would get to it themselves, and I wouldn't have to tell them it was a bad idea. But I'll be honest and say that's the only time I ever said that is when I thought it was a bad idea. Well, let's play that out together. You know? um, if I had a mental really, note, really... if Maria ever says that to oh, us, oh, that was that one conversation <laughs> yeah. I had with her. Oh gosh. Just kidding. <laughs> um, if I had a really good relationship with them, I would just tell them, you know, I'm not quite sure that that would work, and here's why. And I would tell them where it would fall apart. Sure. And if I couldn't figure that out at the time and I just it just didn't sound like a good idea, I would go, all right, let's mull that over and let's come back together and and see if that's something that can work. And then I would work it out in my own brain. And if it was a bad idea, then again, I would fall back on what kind of relationship do I have with them and then tell them it's just not good. And here's why. And oh my gosh, like you that that promise that you made saying, let's think about this and mull it over and come back together. People use it all the time as a no. That's a really bad idea. Like you need to either say no or if you're going to promise to think about it and come back together and discuss it, you got to do that because you actually have to come back together and discuss it. Yeah, because that that dissolves trust over time if you're not actually doing that. And I know that you would do that, right? You would say, let's think about this and then you would actually think about it. Or people are saying like, oh, I'll pray about that. And then that really just means no, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, if my answer was no, I would fall back on the, well, let's play that out together. Sure. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I already knew it wasn't going to work. But if I <laughs> honestly had no idea, I wasn't going to spend time thinking about it right then and there. Because a lot of times volunteers want to talk to you about stuff while they're in their position. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's never time to sit there and play something out, hmm. you know? So if I had to, if I had to think about something, I wasn't going to spend the time doing it there. That's good. So I would tell them and I live by my phone. So I would have to stick it in my phone. You need to think about this. And it would always be either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. Hmm. You need to think about this. That way I had the time to think about it before the next time that I would speak to them or that I would see them. Mm -hmm. And then I could tell them whatever it was. 
Wow. That's so good. I love it. The way that you have systems is just, it's, I think it's funny that you didn't realize they were systems. Like, <laughs> So I want to circle back to like what you really started with, because you said that finding your passion and your why, and then helping other people figure out their passion, their why. When we talked about our flywheel last week, we mentioned that in the, in the very center of it is that passion, that why piece, because if you as a leader or you as a volunteer or you as a, an owner of a business aren't operating from that power source, that's like the drive shaft, right? Like that's the, that's the important piece of making things move. Um, if you're not operating from that passion, things tend to devolve. So I guess my question is, how did you uh, kind of figure out what the people's passions were that you were working with? And then how did you... Uh, Obviously, like we don't want to manipulate people and getting them do things that they shouldn't do, right? But how did you then leverage that to help them achieve more and do greater things? Yeah, observation and conversations. You know, um, oftentimes I would walk out to wherever my team was located. Um, and just for the sake of the audience, I took care of the parking lot, the front doors, the lobby, um, the coffee shop, and the auditorium. And I would just go and observe. You know, and maybe they knew I was observing, maybe they didn't, but that's what I was doing. I was going out there and I was observing everything. I wasn't observing how they were doing stuff. I was observing what was their face? Were they hmm. smiling? Did it look genuine? What's their body language? Are they are they enjoying themselves? You know, and, and if they were, then I wanted to encourage that. And I would go and I would tell them how great they were doing. And if they didn't, I would go and tell, ask them how their day was going. And then I would write it in my phone. You need to call this person this week and you need to talk to them. Hmm. And when I would talk to them, it was how, how are you doing? How are things going? You know? And, and if, again, it falls back on my relationship. If I had a relationship with them or I could say, it didn't look like everything was okay this weekend. You <laughs> you're, know, you're I, lying I noticed to me. <laughs> this. <laughs> Can you tell me more? You know? Um, but it was mostly observation and then conversation. And that helped me to understand how each position needed to change or how a team needed to change as a whole. Was the team unified or was it crumbling? Hmm. Was it something that was sustainable or was it something that was temporary? Yeah, I love that you didn't just assume what the issue was, right? I think a lot of times people assume that people don't care or they'll assume that they are bad at their you know, their task or they'll assume they'll, they'll make all sorts of assumptions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, a lot, there's usually something else going on. I mean, especially because your, your specific uh, situation with the church was you were dealing with a lot of people who didn't have like, I wouldn't say the jobs were super, super hard, but like you, so they, so they should have been able to figure at least how to do it. Right. It, it's not like you're saying, Hey, you need to play, this crazy guitar lick that took you 10 years to learn or something. So when you were observing things, if they weren't doing it right, it wasn't because they had like a lack of knowledge on how to do it, you know? So you were able to really drill into the why this was the case rather mm -hmm. than just like, no, put the card in the seat back this way. You know, it's like, yeah. they know how to do that. There's something else going on. I like it though. Yeah. Even when you encourage people who were doing it right, you weren't encouraging the action. You encouraged their heart. Like you hmm. encourage, like I see you, I see who you are and why you care about this. And I'm going to choose to encourage that in this moment because I see it playing out. 
Um, And I've seen you with so many people. It's incredibly effective the way that you lead because you're a people first leadership style. Um, Not the task first, not the action first, but it's the people and their hearts first. And for you listeners, like Maria is a beast when it comes to volunteerism and leadership. And And just like bringing out people's passions and motivation. And bringing out their best. Like it's, you're phenomenal, basically. Thank you. That's that's all I have to, to say me, about that. I just that. noticed that the tasks fall right into place when you can get the person in the mindset and, and the heart in which they need to be in order to fulfill the task, mm-hmm. you know, and if they were doing a task wrong, you know, I, I always had what I would call certain sentences. And the sentence for this is let's not forget to do it this way. Hmm. Because there were certain things that needed to be done a certain way. Mm-hmm. And they right. were non-negotiable. You know, um, everybody needed a program as they walked in the door at some point. We didn't do that after a while, but, you know, at some point everybody needed it. Um, Mm -hmm. And people would get caught up in their in their life, in their head. And then, okay, I'm supposed to greet. And they're holding on to the programs and nobody's getting anything. (laughs) So I'd walk up to them. Hey, how's it going? Okay, let's not forget to do this, you know, Um, or the auditorium. You mentioned the seatbacks, you know. It needed to be put in a certain way. Everything needed to look mm-hmm. uniform, you know? And so, well, let's not forget to do this. Or did you notice this? You know, it wasn't, why aren't you doing it this way? Why isn't this happening? Mm-hmm. You know, because you're not going to get anybody um, loving what they're doing or enjoying <laughs> how they're doing it if it's negative, you know? Right. So it was always about being positive. And I had to check myself. That, that was the hardest part was I couldn't bring my garbage or my sense of urgency or, you know, what was given to me as urgency and push it on them. I had to be the, the shield that protected them from myself and sometimes my leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and not give it to them. Whereas if you, you find a lot, you know, and I don't mean to pull it out, but corporate America, where it's like the boss yells at the boss who yells at the boss, who yells at the employee, who goes home and yells at their wife, who then yells at their kids, who then yells at their siblings, you know, (laughs) and it's like, you can't do that, you know, (laughs) to be an effective leader and to help people um, feel accomplished and wanting to continue that accomplishment, you need to go with positivity. It was your husband who actually taught me the phrase, used a little more colorful language, but crap rolls downhill. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember being like, I need to be the one who stops the crap. I need to be the crap wall, (laughs) you know? And, and, you know, a lot of times it's our own as, as leaders, it's our own perceptions of what's coming downhill toward us too. That can, kind of magnify and turn something into a bigger ball of crap that rolls downhill so it's important to chiggity check yourself before you wreck yourself and also uh and also just be ready to be that shield and honestly too in volunteer organizations crap rolls finds its way to roll uphill too so like we protect our leaders as well and that's what what uh, one of the interesting thing is about being a leader from the middle is that you're kind of protecting both sides of things right you're 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 being that kind of shield that crap wall (laughs) in between everything just to kind of make like to diffuse stuff as it crosses the communication paths yeah 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 that's good well hey we have to protecting people of of myself too Mm -hmm. oh totally totally because i i leaned a lot towards performance and perfectionism and i had to protect people from that part of me hmm 
That's huge. That, that is a big deal. And being self-aware enough to notice that. Say, the self-awareness <laughs> is huge because recognizing when crap flows, whatever direction it's coming at you from, like recognizing what's happening, recognizing yourself and your own emotions in the situation, and then recognizing like, here's what's good, here's what's bad, but I need to lead and care about these people. That's, it takes a lot of self-awareness and uh, I think a humility to recognize, like, I'm human too. I, I know sometimes in leadership, it's easy to think I need to act beyond human in order to do this effectively, but it's our humanity that connects with people that actually equips us to be great leaders. One of the things that we've talked about, and we're going to have to have Maria on sometime in the future again. I know. But this is, this, <laughs> is me making, this is me making a mental note and a note in front of our audience that I would really like to have a conversation with you at some point about systemizing yourself. Because it sounds like underneath all of these things, you have systems for yourself, like sentences that you used. And you had, oh, you yeah. knew you went to your phone after certain conversations to get things in the schedule and all that stuff. So I think that that's a huge deal. I don't want to skip over that, but we should definitely dive into that in the future sometime. But okay. to kind of wrap up this episode, we have a question we ask everybody. Um, what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you? That is a great question. Um, well, to talk about what I'm doing now, which is real estate, um, my leader asked me, why do you want to do real estate? And I said, I don't know. And he <laughs> said, no, really, why do you want to do real estate? And I was like, I like looking at houses. And he said, but why do you, why real estate? And I sat there and I said, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, someday I want to be a leader on this team. And he was like, you want to be a leader on this team, but you don't even know why you want to do real estate? And I said, yes. And he said, why? And I said, because I want to help people. I want to help people find um, something extraordinary about themselves and help them to um, harness it in a way that helps them grow as a person and helps them leave something behind about themselves that that they can be proud of, that, hmm. that they can say, oh my gosh, I did this and it was awesome. And he was like, why can't you apply that to real estate? And I was like, because I can't. And he's like, of course you can. Hmm. You're helping people find their next home. And he's like, what does that home mean to you? And I was like, I don't know, where you have dinner, where you watch TV. And it turned into, <laughs> I want to help somebody find their home, where they get to binge watch their favorite shows and have a meal with their family and just relax at the end of a busy day. Hmm. So I would say the legacy that I want to leave is no matter what I do, that I'm inspiring people to live their best life. And that makes me live my best life. That's an awesome answer. And, and just so you know, from the outside looking in, we see you doing that and accomplishing that. And it's so cool to see that. So Thank congratulations you. on that and definitely keep that going. So, uh, Maria, where can our listeners find more about you? Let's say they have a real estate question or or just uh, reach out to you. Maybe maybe they run an organization. They want to pick your brain for some volunteerism ideas. Where can they uh, find you? Sure. If you go to thattwincitieslife.com, that is my website, and you can find my social media on there as well as my phone number and my email. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation, and we definitely look forward to having you back in the future. So thank you for being Yay. here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.